We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Podcast. I'm Alex Hurst, and this is a special podcast that has been put together. It's fairly short and it's fade a day. And the subject is, of course, Rafa Benitez. To speak about Rafa Benitez, and particularly in terms of um, you know the political moves that he makes and where that has come from in his previous career, there was no one better to speak to pretty much in the world than Sid Lowe. Uh, Sid, as most of you will probably know, is a well-respected and esteemed football journalist operating from Spain. Uh, he's the author of the uh, 2013 William Hill Book of the Year. Uh, I'll get it right here. Fear and Loathing in the League at Barcelona, Real Madrid in the World's Greatest Sporting Rivalry. I really enjoyed that book. It was absolutely fantastic. And Sid contributes to a variety of podcasts and publications across the world in Europe on Spanish football. So an absolute pleasure to speak to Sid about Rafa Benitez and how Sid has viewed Rafa Benitez during his time in Spain and also whilst coming across Newcastle. Special mention to Norman Riley, a True Faith podcast contributor for setting this up. He is now our international agent for our guests, um, so thanks very much, Norman. And I'm not going much longer, so all I want to say is thank you very much, Sid, for doing this. Massive pleasure, and I hope all you guys listening enjoy what he's got for us. So I'm joined now on the line by Sid Lowe. Um, Sid, thank you very much for joining us. I've just given the listeners a, a, a large introduction about your credentials and um, you know the the media success that you've had as, a, as one of the leading experts on Spanish football and in, in the English media. So first of all, when did you come across Rafa Benitez? I, I take it was when he was uh, starting out his managerial career, kind of 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when, when, when he really started to be noticed was, was his time at Valencia, when, of course, he, he managed to... I mean, I, I, I still think, genuinely still think even now, um, you know, what is it, 13 years on, 14 years on from the second of their league titles, I still think people haven't quite, outside of Valencia at least, expressed just how enormous an achievement that was. Um, because, of course, they took two league titles off that round inside that first Galactico era. Um, at a time when the shift was coming, admittedly it wasn't quite there yet, so maybe this is why we don't look at it the way we look at Atletico in the league a few years ago, but we didn't realise how extraordinary. Because bear in mind that after they won that second league title, we went a decade without anyone else winning the league in Spain that wasn't one of the top two. Um, and so there was, I, I, think, I think that was a, a, an enormous achievement. So of course that's when people really started to, to, to up and play those. But there were, there were elements of what he did in, in, in Extremadura, elements of what he did at Valladolid that, that, that people had seen and, and spotted. And, and, and he was known as well because actually his, 
in a way, his origins were kind of in the public eye. I mean, bear in mind, you know, is, as most people know, that he's a guy that didn't quite have the, the playing career that he would have liked, but he's got an injury, a knee injury, when he was at the World Student Games, I think in 1979, but I'm not sure about the year. Um, obviously, had been at Real Madrid, had been assistant manager with with Vicente uh, Bosque very briefly, had had one or two first team at Real Madrid. He's also someone who had a media presence because he was commentating games on, on, on Tele Madrid. And so this is a guy that, that people knew about but in terms of kind of that big explosion of wow, this is someone who is, you know who's capable of doing something really quite special, and everyone knew that you know to, to, to use that Spanish phrase that he was a pesado, which kind of means you know it literally means heavy, but hard work, a real pain in the ass, really tactically obsessed, really you know really detailed, really really heavy going, but but really quite impressive with it, and I think people knew that, but the real sense of this is someone a bit special, of course, was was, was what happened at Valencia. Very interesting and. And obviously that spell away from Spanish football he had, which was kind of littered with trophies and success at um, Liverpool, uh, into uh, Napoli, um, Chelsea as well, of course. When he returned to Real Madrid, was there still that kind of sense of um, expectancy or excitement? Or what, you know, you've just said that outside of Valencia, he maybe wasn't appreciated. Was it kind of seen as a negative appointment? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I, I mean, genuinely, I think that's the truth. And, and, and I always thought it was very unfair, admittedly, obviously, with, as it played out, it didn't play out well. So, so those, those who were kind of naysaying him when he first arrived, those who said that he wasn't a manager for Real Madrid, I suppose would claim that they, they were proven right. Now, I actually think in different circumstances, he could have been a very good manager for Real Madrid. But, but Rafa's, uh, you know, Rafa's traits did as a tactical work, the attention to detail, the relentlessness of the way that he works, and what that Real Madrid team needed at that particular time. But when he came, um, I think there was a sense that, you know, this is, on one level, I think there was a, there was a welcoming uh, kind of sense of, you know, this is a guy who, who is rounded through and through, you know, this is a guy who, who was that rounded, player, a guy who coached through the new systems around Madrid, around Madrid C and then around Madrid B, a guy who'd been assistant coach, as I said before, with, with the Tendai Roske, and I think that, you know, this is a guy that sort of deserves his opportunity, but the truth is, he wasn't someone that the Spanish were especially fond of outside of Valencia as it should have been. Um, I, I really do think that. I think had he done that with a team that, that, that you know, was, was in kind of media terms perhaps more um, more the kind of club that the media likes to talk about, obviously Madrid and Barcelona are, are clear cases, but had he done that for example at Atletico Madrid, I think maybe he'd got more recognition than, than, than he did and I think he deserved more. Of course Istanbul is always talked about as, as one of the great footballing moments um, and Liverpool and the fact that he took Liverpool to another final a couple of years later, although curiously enough I think that second final against Milan has kind of been forgotten as well. Yeah. I think not extraordinary achievement really to take a relatively limited Liverpool side to, to two Champions League finals in three years and then actually take a, a much better Liverpool side as he started to develop it pretty close to the league title that year then when, when Torres was there and I think they beat Man United was it 4-0 or 4-1 at Old Trafford and were pretty close to, to winning the league certainly close to what Liverpool have been for the last 20 years but the truth is that in Spain I don't think there was a huge amount of warmth towards him. I think there was a, a recognition from some parts, less than I think there should have been, but not a huge amount of warmth. There wasn't really a sense of great Rafa's back. Um, and I say, as I say, I think in part that's because of that, that, that kind of, because of the type of manager he is. There wasn't that sense of, you know, this is the kind of person that players talk really highly of. The players who talk highly of Rafa, if you notice, know, I think this is, this is in itself very telling because I have a really close relationship with him. You know? And, you know, listening, for, for example, to Fernando Torres, a guy who, who's actually very serious about his football. Um, and, and Fernando Torres always recognised the impact that Rafa had. But 
course, you would never have claimed to have been his best best mate. And, yeah. and I suppose that, in a way, is the kind of the definition of what Rafa was like as, as, as a coach. So, so when he came back, there wasn't this big excitement. I think, of course, had things gone well, then there would have been this kind of retrospective. See, he was always the right man. But the truth is that when he came in, there were a lot of people who already, at the very start, thought that it probably wasn't. And, and, I, and I must say, what I was convinced I doubted that he was like that for Real Madrid simply because that dressing room, that environment, the political nature of Real Madrid, um, I thought was always potentially risky for him. And and and, and sadly, because because as I say, I, I quite admire Rafa, and I, sadly it, it, it didn't work out. Yeah, and obviously it was to Newcastle United's uh, benefit that it didn't work mm. out, but it was it was certainly strange for us that, and it's been well documented now that Rafa actually contacted the club, um, made the first move when he was out of work at Madrid. Um, how how was that viewed in Spain when he came to Newcastle? Because obviously we were deep in trouble at the wrong end of the Premier League. Eventually we were relegated despite his best efforts, and he did do a fantastic job in in my opinion when he when he turned up to to turn around the sinking ship. Was there much reaction in Spain, or was it or, or maybe do they not kind of look at English football in that much detail and particularly a coach like no, Rafa? They, they do. I mean, English, English football is very popular in Spain so there is an awareness but admittedly, as, as you might imagine, in the mainstream, mainstream is not perhaps the quite, quite the right word, but the kind of the, the, you know, the, the really popular end of, of, of the football media and, and, and fans in Spain, it's quite a superficial treatment by definition. And, you know, that's the way it is. So, so as you can imagine, those who were not on Rafa Benitez's side or those who thought that he wasn't a great manager and there were many of them and bear in mind as well a, a, an important element when it comes to judging managers and this happened to Pellegrini as well is that there's a retrospective demolition of those <laughs> managers which goes much much further than the if you like than the original doubts um, so, so so what happens is someone leaves Real Madrid and because there's this kind of I'm not even sure it's conscious I think it's a subconscious thing there's a subconscious thing that I have at institutional level so what you get is a kind of a retrospective demolition of the managers who didn't do well and that's politically driven there's no doubt about that there are elements of Spanish media who it goes wrong Real Madrid attacked the manager it's all the manager's fault right let's all get on with it the rest of us are fine <laughs> now of course for Rafa's, Rafa's big problem is that he leaves and Real Madrid win the Champions League without him and then they go on and win it again and so, so you retrospectively people can see can look at it and point the finger and say well see that shows it was Rafa's fault now I personally think Rafa probably was the wrong decision but I think it was the wrong decision because of the specifics of that dressing room of that president of the impositions that were made and this is not by any means by the way to say that Rafa is blameless because he's not um, but, but I, think, I think he was specifically the wrong manager at the wrong place and at the wrong time and I think I'm interested in so specifically in terms of your question, which is how did people react when he went to Newcastle and, and then when, when, when things went wrong and Newcastle went down, well, things were already going wrong. Obviously, because of that, because of that desire, if you like, that kind of retrospective desire to slaughter him and to bury him, when he went, um, the, 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 the blunt truth is that people said, well, there you go, he's found his level. You know, he shouldn't be at Real Madrid, but yeah, a club that's going to go down from the Premier League, that's what happened. You know, those who were really critical of him thought that's Rafa. And then when they went down, of course, people again pointed him. See, see, he just got relegated. There was no recognition, I don't think, or very little recognition, except from those who were following his football a little bit more closely, that Newcastle's relegation was because of a thing in spite of Rafa. You know, the work was good, but the damage was already done. But it enabled those who were not on his side, I think, to, to kind of point the finger very, very quickly and say, well, there you go, that's where Rafa should be. Now, from the, to take it from the more positive side of things, 
I remember writing about this when, when, when this happened, when he went to Newcastle and speaking to a few people who knew him. And then basically said to him, well, what if, you know, because I, I must admit, I thought this is a, this is an odd one, because he's going to get relegated with Newcastle. Um, he's come from Real Madrid and presumably would aspire to something bigger. Um, but I spoke to a few people who know him really quite well. And, and, and certainly one of them who was, you know, obviously I say this as, another, as a Londoner and, and removed a little bit from Newcastle. Never forget that Newcastle are an absolutely fucking enormous club. Uh, they, they, they really genuinely are a huge club with a massive fan base, uh, with, with, with a big history that even if there's a recognition that they're, that they're, you know, they're, they're problematic, even if there's a recognition that they're likely to go down, if Rafa handles it right, if Rafa manages it right, if they support him, in the way, and this is always the big question, of course, if they support him in the way he wants them to, and this was very much one of the problems at Real Madrid, and of course we saw it at the clubs as well, Valencia, in particular the famous Sofa and Lamp comment. Yeah. Um, but if they support him, you know, he'll come back up, he will be able to build it, he will be able to prove himself. And the other point, and, and this, this was effectively the theme of what I wrote I remember at the time, is that Rafa Benitez is a football manager. You know, he's obsessed, he's driven by this, he, he wants to manage. He's not a guy who wants a big job, he's not a guy who wants glory. Of course he wants glory, ever wants glory and ever wants a big job. But what I mean is that's not necessarily what drives him. He's driven by, if you like, the... The, the job itself he's genuinely a vocational manager and, and so in that sense I think it was actually a logical move albeit in you know the, the kind of the gut reaction is wow here's this guy that's been at Chelsea at Liverpool into Milan and, and Real Madrid and he's going to Newcastle but given the chance to do it the way he wants to do it I think for someone like Rafa Newcastle is actually very very attractive because you know fundamentally he's driven by being a manager football manager is what he is it's his identity and, and so I think the, the opportunity to do that at a big club even one in trouble to build and, and you know what genuinely I think Rafa would have probably looked at that and probably had a effectively a kind of a, a two-tiered plan one is that this is what I do this is how we try and avoid relegation this is how we try and work but realistically we probably are going to go down but that's the reality of clubs in trouble there is always, assuming that it's reasonably well run and assuming the manager is, is, is sensible and intelligent, um, there is always a dual plan. That there has to be, assuming that you will be given the opportunity to continue even with relegation. Of course, that was the case with Rafa and the side came straight back up again. Yeah, and he's he's certainly he's certainly obviously worshipped by the fan base here. And one of the yeah. things which is, uh, you know, fans listening to this right now will be interested in is how how kind of common his um, political moves are in Spain whether it's something that is purely a Rafa Benitez thing or it, maybe it's as um, you know random as it is for managers in any any part of the world but you know we, we're in a situation where uh, Rafa is letting the local press and uh, certain fan publications know about how allegedly unhappy he is with, uh, with transfer negotiations now you've got two tiers here you've got people worried he'll leave and you've got you know I think the Daily Mail ran a story a couple of weeks ago saying his future's in doubt and then you've got the more local journalists saying there is no way Rafa Benitez would walk away from Newcastle United but mm. but he's unhappy from Rafa's history and from what you've talked about there not just Valencia and Madrid which kind of everyone knows about but the, the smaller clubs he, he had success at before do you, do you think there would be any any chance of Benitez walking away from Newcastle if, if he didn't get what he wanted or do you think like you say once he's invested emotionally and my guess is, is that he is you, you'll, you'll kind of see us through no matter what I mean, I, I mean, the first thing is from a distance. First thing to say, I can't, I, I, I can't claim to to, to understand the, the kind of the, the, if you like, the the, the machinations or the ins and outs of, of, of how his relationship with Newcastle works. Um, but but it, it's certainly true that that from a distance he appears to be emotionally engaged with this. I think you know this is a club that that 
when he first signed his contract, obviously pay him, pay, pay very, very well, and theoretically have the money to sign players. Although, of course, that's often the crux of the, the issue that comes next. You know, the issue that comes next is, well, you're a club that's, that's got the money to pay for the players. Why aren't these players here? Why haven't we got them? Why haven't they arrived? And, and you know, this brings us back, as I mentioned very early, uh, earlier on, I mentioned saying I asked for a sofa and they brought me a lamp. You know, this is, I, I, I want certain types of players to have a very clear vision of what I want. And if they don't come, Rafa has always been um, a manager who is prepared to say so sometimes publicly sometimes you know uh, by a little bit more of a kind of a, a roundabout route you know to to, to to reveal those doubts why um, that's a good question uh, in terms of why because I, I often wonder whether whether it's partly just a, an openness and a willingness to chat and, and perhaps a willingness to express grumbles whether it's Otherwise, also, or instead of message out there to put pressure on, to, you know, to try and manoeuvre, or at least to try and to try and publicly say, listen, if this doesn't go right, it's not entirely my fault. And, and obviously, I think Rafa, like anybody, I mean, we're all human. I think Rafa, like any any manager, um, sees the flaws in others more quickly than he sees them in, in himself, of course. And I, I think we're all like that. And I think he's very, very keen and very sharp in terms of what it is he wants. And so I think that means that that he's not. The kind of manager that if you know if he asks for three players and he wants X, Y, and Z and it turns out to be X, Y, and B, most managers would go, well, that's not too bad, and we can work with it. And B, the player, I can, I can, you know, I can make him into Z. Rafa won't. I mean, I think Rafa is very much more more clear focused than that in terms of this is what I want. And the, and there's a, there's a very definite type with Rafa as well. Um, so and so I think when you when you talk about kind of a sense that 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 he is letting it be known that he's unhappy about certain elements of, of, of what's happening at Newcastle. We had that at Valencia, very famously by the end, his relationship with um, Susa Garcia Pitaas, the sporting director, was very, very poor indeed by the end. And for what it's worth, by the way, I think time has suggested that Rafa was right there, not Garcia Pitaas. That also led to a deterioration by definition, I suppose, because he's the guy in the middle with the relate of the relationship with the president at the time, a guy called Manuel Llorente. Um, he... He, I think actually it seemed for a while, of course, that things were going very well at Liverpool, but then you have that beginning of the whole collapse at Liverpool where Torres goes and Xavi Alonso goes, and you have this feeling that, okay, we took it this far, and then it starts to break down. Um, obviously, as it turns out, with the later arrival of Luis, Luis Suarez, perhaps if Rafa had been around long enough to, to be able to work with Suarez, he, he might have found that actually we can, we can do something here. Um, at Real Madrid, and I think Real Madrid is a really interesting case study. Because one of the reasons why I doubted, and I said before, I talked about it being kind of that kind of dressing, the politics, the presidential side of things. One of the reasons why I think I was surprised at the way it unravelled at Real Madrid, maybe more than the fact that it unravelled, is is because of how it happened. So Rafa, who I think has always been very, very clear, Rafa, I think has always wanted an enormous amount of control, which for what it's worth, I think is a is a kind of a managerial mentality that's quite British, whereas in Spain, of course, managers or coaches rather are coaches. You know, the, the sporting director is the guy who decides on the signings. The president quite often has a say on the signings. The manager theoretically gets consulted and theoretically has a say, but his degree of authority fluctuates with results. And so he doesn't always have the full authority that he would like in terms of signings, but more importantly, at a club like Real Madrid, as of the side, in terms of the team. Now, I think one of the things that happened at Real Madrid was that he went there, and right at the very start, I think he probably wasn't enough of a pain in the ass. I think he probably wasn't authoritarian enough with the club in terms of, this is what I want, if I'm coming in, you know, if I'm coming in, this guy, this guy, and this guy, 
has to go. And I would like this kind of player, please. And you look at the players that Rafa Benitez wants, and it's curious because with time they've been proven to be pretty good. Um, he wanted Kovacic, who's turning out to be a very good player. He wanted Lucas Vazquez, who's been very, very useful. I wouldn't say he's a first-team player. I almost like him a little bit to Antonio Nunez at, at Liverpool. You know, someone you can get who can be sort of steady, useful, and come in and play. And he wanted a certain type of, of, of approach. He wanted certain players not there. Hamish Rodriguez he had problems with, left Hamish on the bench. Hamish um, and him fell out quite badly. That was a very significant point of tension um, between the two of them and therefore by definition a point of tension for the club. And yet curiously Zidane comes in and Zidane does the same with Hamish. He gives up on Hamish as well, who by the way I think is a brilliant player, but for whatever reason these two managers didn't want him in. When when Benitez left him out, it was like the question of state this. This was a terrible thing to do. When when Zidane did it with the natural calm, charisma, authority, the status that he had as a Real Madrid legend. So so you can see right from the start of the conditions a different party, of course, because Zidane comes after Benitez. It is also true though that some Real Madrid players right from the start in pre-season didn't necessarily relate particularly well to Benitez. Not all of them didn't, but some of them didn't right from the start. And, and some big names in that dressing room, Modric, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Sergio Ramos, uh, one or two others who, who just didn't quite relate to him. The other thing that I think is, which is really, really significant for me is it felt to me from the start that Benitez came almost to do someone else's model. So for example, the repositioning of, of Gareth Bale as a second striker felt very, very strongly. Um, um, you know, one or two snippets of information that certainly lean me even more in the direction. But the idea of playing Bale behind the forward was not Rafa Benitez's, and more importantly, that bit I know is not. I know, I know that bit is true. That it wasn't just from Benitez; that it came much more from the players, came from from the club, uh, kind of boardroom level. But the, the bit I'm, I'm suspicious about, and I'd love to know, is I'm not convinced that Benitez wanted to do that either. But Benitez got on well with Bale, and he was training Bale, and was working on him, and trying to make him that second striker, to give him that freedom to be almost a number 10, which in truth Bale isn't, and certainly not if you're playing Spanish football. So I think one of the interesting things was that Benitez looked kind of environment. So right from the start, he almost wasn't himself. And of course, the game that, the game that kind of defined this in a way was the Classico now I remember writing at the time that Benitez you know the old phrase so and so dies with his boots on I remember at the time that that, that that phrase kind of stuck in my mind and Benitez died with someone else's boots on so he goes into the Classico and he wants a defensive midfielder like Casemiro but doesn't play him he doesn't want Hamas in a team but does play him he does the team that has been if you like suggested to him indirectly maybe perhaps not a straightforward look the president wants you to play like this or else you're sacked and matey but more kind of like you know if this was the team and it's no one could blame you because this is the team that everybody wants and and the, the the thing that Benitez did was not be Benitez and he swallowed it and they lost 4-0 and so at that stage you think well if you lose 4-0 I'm not in trouble because it was a team they wanted actually the reverse happened <laughs> because I think any sense of authority any sense of his own his own authority, his own importance, I think, went along with along with that defeat. And so I think that was worse than just a defeat because it wasn't even a defeat with his kind of team. And while that might have been seen as something that could have helped protect him, because, you know, well, this is what the president wanted. I think it actually did the opposite because it it's true it was a team the president wanted, but they lost and they got beaten back. And he didn't even have the authority to be able to say, right, I did it my way, I did it my team. And, of course, that lost him that little bit extra extra authority and extra kind of uh, respect if you like in the dressing room so the curious thing for me was that, that Rafa Benitez was always likely to fail at Real Madrid because he was Rafa Benitez but ended up failing not even being himself yeah 
No, I mean, uh, yeah, it was kind of hard to watch. I remember that 4-0 game and Newcastle actually just been hammered, I think, by the eventual champions, Leicester. 3-0 mm. at home that day we went and watched the, the match was a, a 5.30 kickoff or something, went and watched it and I think we couldn't quite believe uh, how, yeah. how, how inferior... Just Rafa, no, you could, yeah. You could, it, 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 just, look, I, I don't want to pigeonhole Rafa entirely, but Rafa has some very clear footballing principles, none of which were on display <laughs> that day. None of them. And I suppose I don't want to keep you too much longer, but um, you know, moving into the new season, presuming all all will be well, do you think that you know Newcastle United will be a little bit more of a a draw in Spain? I don't know how much football shown on tele- television over over a there. Lot. Yeah, a lot. I mean, I mean, look, Newcastle are a team. I, I think I think people quite like anyway, just because because they're a big club, because they're seen as unique, because they're seen as I think they're still seen as a as a club that. Despite you know, despite very many reasons not to feel like this, it's still seen as a club that's close to them. Despite despite ownership issues and so on, just uh, to, to say the least. I mean, let's not get into too deep yeah. on Mike Ashley. Um, but but there, there there is I think there is a certain degree of fondness for them, and, and I think there will be an awareness of what's happening with Rafa Benitez. As I say, that will be polarised because I think with Rafa, Rafa has always been a polarised figure, and I think in Spain, in Spain even more so. So there will be some who really, really want him to succeed, but there will be an awful lot who would quite like him to fail. But but yeah, Newcastle will be watching. I mean, bear in mind that Spanish uh, Spanish TV. Um, I mean, admittedly, it's subscription TV, so it's not free to air. Although the FA Cup was free to air last year, that you know, I think they're showing it might be six Premier League games a weekend, and there's no doubt that Newcastle will be one of those that, that people are interested in because, because you know, Rafa, Rafa is still a Spaniard, even if he's a Spaniard who's clearly felt probably even more at home in the UK than, than he has in Spain. You know, his, his connection with with Liverpool is very, very deep. The fact that his family set up on the Wirral and remained there, um, you know, his his willingness to go back. Uh, in fact, his desire to go back, and as you rightly said, you know, he goes to Newcastle. And says, right, let, let, let's talk about this opportunity. There was, there were, you know, there have been other options in, in England as well, with clubs that you would say are, are not as big as, as Newcastle even. And, and you, you sort of think, well, you know, this is a guy who's really, really embraced England, embraced, I think, the uh, kind of the British attitude, British mentality. Admittedly, he's he's always. You know, he's kind of unsatisfied a lot of time because that's the nature of him because he's so driven because he is that, you know, go back to that word pesado, that pain in the arse, that, that tough going guy um, that that's kind of, can be difficult to live with, but, but very, very ultra professional. Um, so, so, I mean, I, th- I, think, I think, you know, there will be in Spain uh, a little bit of additional interest because it's Rafa Benitez because he doesn't stop being a Spaniard. But there is also, I think, as well, a sense that, you know, there's an awareness now that I think Rafa's place is probably the UK more than it is Spain. Nice one, Sid. We're hugely appreciative. That was thoroughly enjoyable. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.